if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 17, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you'll remember that in John's Gospel, the Passover begins back in chapter 13, and, and we see this dedicated, expansive description of the evening and of the words that Jesus taught. Chapters 13 and 14, they, they took place during the actual meal itself. And, and then you remember that in chapters 15 and 16, the, the meal has ended, the disciples are standing up and beginning to head over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember that Jesus, once they had stood up, talked about the fact that he's the vine and how important it is that we abide in the vine. And unless we abide in the vine, we can do nothing. And so the desire is that we would bear fruit and that we would bear much fruit. And, and as he talked about this abiding relationship with him, he said, don't think that the world is going to applaud you for a, an abiding relationship uh, with the Lord. When you identify with the Lord, when you associate with Christ, when you name yourself as a Christian, know this, that you are going to be going contrary to the world, contrary to the culture. And, uh, and he said, the world hated me before it hated you. And so don't take it personally and don't think that the, the world is going to embrace you. You remember that he went on to tell them that he is going to be departing from them, but that he's not going to leave them as orphans. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And he talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, convicting the world of sin, leading us uh, into truth and into righteousness. And, and then you remember that uh, he talked about the fact that uh, he is going to depart. And back in verse 16 now of the 16th, chapter he says a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the father and so Jesus now begins to talk about the fact that he is going to be departing but they don't understand what he's talking about you remember how Jesus told the religious leaders that he is going to depart and that they will not see him and and they wondered whether or not he was talking about going to the Gentiles and that's why they wouldn't be able to come but then Jesus told his disciples that he's going to depart and they're not going to be able to come and and the disciples thought that it meant that things were getting too dangerous and that he is going to have to withdraw from the conflict with the religious leaders and that's when Peter stepped up and said no matter how dangerous it is Lord I will go with you wherever you go and and you'll remember Jesus's response Peter before the night is over you're gonna deny me three times and and now Jesus is again saying he's gonna be departing he's gonna leave you're not gonna see me and then you're gonna see me because I'm going to the Father. But the disciples do not have a clue as to what Jesus is actually talking about. And it says here in verse 17, then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. Here we see that 
Notice that it says some of his disciples. It wasn't as if all of the disciples were having this conversation. Just some of the disciples were having this conversation. There's 11 of the disciples. You remember that Judas has already departed in Jesus. And so there's 12 of them. And if they're walking along, there's some that are in the front and some that are in the back. And, and some of them are having this conversation about, do you understand what he's saying? And they're like, no, we don't understand what he's saying. And verse 8, they said therefore what is this that he says a little while we do not know what he is saying and it is only after his death and resurrection and his ascension that all of it is going to be made clear it is after the holy spirit is sent that now the the perfect truth is going to be revealed. They're getting puzzle pieces, but they're looking at the puzzle pieces and they don't understand how they connect together here. The, the Bible tells us that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Jesus is speaking to them these truths, but they do not understand. They keep they keep interpreting them physically. They keep on misunderstanding the things that Jesus is saying to them. And, and Jesus now knows what they're talking about in the back. The disciples don't think that Jesus knows what they're talking about, but Jesus knows exactly what they are talking about. And, and it says, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me and and so here they are you know kind of whispering to each other and and jesus now brings it out into the light and they're like oh. most assuredly jesus says i say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned into joy jesus tells them that one of you is going to betray me. He tells them that uh, all of you are going to depart uh, from me. He says the world is going to hate you. And, and now he tells them that you're going to weep and you're going to lament. This is just bad news after bad news after bad news. And, and he says that as you're sorrowful, you're going to lament and you're going to be sorrowful. And guess what? The world is going to rejoice while you are sorrowful. But he says, but then your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And so there is this season of sorrow coming, but your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. Now, it's interesting to me here that Jesus tells us that their sorrow isn't going to be replaced with joy, but it's going to be turned to joy. There's a difference between replacing your sorrow with joy and turning your sorrow into joy. When you have a, a family dog and that dog dies and you are sorrowful over it, oftentimes you'll go and you'll get a puppy. And that puppy now replaces the sorrow as you have this new puppy. And so that's, that's replacing. But here, Jesus doesn't say that your sorrow is going to be replaced now with a new experience. He says your sorrow is actually going to be turned into joy itself and so we see the way that god works that god never wastes anything in our life he never wastes a trial a difficulty a hardship he never wastes a tear 
and in your life. He uses all things and works all things together for good. And so here there is going to be this process and out of this process of sorrow is going to be birth joy. He's going to give an illustration here. He says a woman when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. How many women here have had a child and know exactly what this hour here that he is talking about and, and how that birthing process, when, when the hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And, and so here is the process. Out of the sorrow, the sorrow itself is turned into joy. It is a part of the process now of bringing about the joy. Now, there are two fulfillments of what Jesus is talking about. Right now, the church is being birthed and this sorrow is the travail now that these disciples are going through. Jesus is on his way over to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he is going to be crucified. The next morning he will be hanging on the cross by 9 a.m. as they are now walking over in the evening time over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they are going to go into a great travail. They are going to go into great sorrow and great pain and great distress. But then when Jesus resurrects and ascends, there is now the, the sorrow is turned into joy as the church is now being birthed through this process. We also see that there is a, a fuller fulfillment of this in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Jews believe that the end of the age will come with these cataclysmic judgments and, and then there is going to be a, a new birth. We know that the great tribulation is that time of travail when the earth itself uh, will now be giving birth to the millennial reign of Christ and we see that that will take place when Christ returns at the end of what? At the end of the those travails of those labor pangs and and Christ is going to return he's going to rule and reign in righteousness for a thousand years and so the millennial reign is going to be born the lion is going to lie down with the lamb and men will know war no longer and we will live in in peace uh, underneath the the blessing of the messianic age and and so we see that in both of those the church is born through this and travail through the crucifixion and the death of Christ and and also the millennial age is born through the tribulation the great tribulation he says in verse 22 therefore you now have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you and so here he lets them know that they are going to see him again. Notice that he didn't answer their question. They, they simply, he simply gives an illustration of his sorrow being turned into joy, but never tells them now where he is going. He says here again that your sorrow is going to be turned to joy, that I will see you again, and your heart is going to rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And, 
And so we see that the sending of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling now of the Spirit in our life, gives us that constant communication and connection to God. He says, and in that day, verse 23, you will ask me nothing. And most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. In that day, he says, you won't ask anything of me. What is that day that Jesus is referring to right here? He's talking about after his ascension. After his ascension, they're not going to have direct access to him any longer. They're not going to be able to ask him questions like they've been able to ask him during his entire ministry here. And, and so this is why you're not going to ask me anything. But look at what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So whereas they have been dependent upon Jesus and Jesus says he is departing, is now connecting them to the Father and saying that you are going to be able to go directly to the Father and you're able to ask things now in my name and he will give them to you. In verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, up until then, they haven't asked God the Father for anything. Why? They had Jesus with them at all times. You'll remember that they're in the boat and the storm comes and, and they are fearful of their lives. And, and what do they do? They wake up Jesus and Jesus stands up and, and he commands the wind and the waves to be still. Wherever Jesus went with his disciples, whenever there was a problem, Jesus had the answer to every single problem. And so they brought all of their issues and their concerns to Jesus. But now Jesus is going to be departing from them. And so uh, he says that up until now, you, you haven't been asking the Father. But now he says, ask and you will receive that your what? That your joy may be full. And so here again, we see the power of prayer and we see Christ instructing us to come and to bring our requests to God. We see that so oftentimes we live our own lives upon the meager resources that we've got in our own life instead of calling upon God and the abundance of the resources, the infinite resources of God. We struggle with concerns and problems and trials and, and tribulations and, and and we try and work through them so oftentimes ourselves but instead of praying now when we pray two things happen number one we're unburdening ourselves we're coming into the presence of god and, and we are telling him the concerns of our heart god wants to hear from you he's the best listener that there is ever he's always willing he loves you he's concerned about you and he wants to hear what is troubling you he wants you to share your heart with him and so there is the sharing of our heart with the Lord but secondly recognize this that prayer is a conduit into his presence when you are praying you're coming into his presence now the Bible tells us that in his presence is the fullness of joy so when I come into the presence of God I am going to be changed simply by the presence of God amen 
You can't come into the presence of God and not be affected by the presence of God. Prayer brings you into the presence of God. So coming into the presence of God with prayer and bringing our petitions, we see that number one, he's gonna answer them, and number two, we're gonna feel better by having come into his presence through prayer. And so Jesus now is, is instructing them and leading them to ask. Two things are gonna happen, you will receive, Know this, that God desires to help you, but he's not gonna force himself on you. He is in a relationship with you and he wants you to invite him into your problems. And if you wanna handle your problems on your own, God is willing to stand back and let you try and work out your own problems. But the minute that you ask for help, he's ready to rush in and he's ready to help you. Ask and you will receive and secondly, your joy is going to be increased. You're gonna be filled with joy even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of trials. Why? Because when you know that God is with you and you know that God is for you and you know that God is helping you, that changes your outlook on every single circumstance and every single situation that, that we are going through. And so here he is instructing them now to put their faith through him in God and to start asking the Father. He says in verse 25, these things I have spoken to you in, in figurative language. Now, figurative language in the original Greek language, that word there is the same word that's translated parables. So here Jesus is saying that up until now I've been speaking to you in, in parables, in typologies, in metaphors. He says, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. He says, in that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. In that day, what day? After his uh, ascension now. You will ask in my name. We come to the Father in the name of Jesus because we are connected to Christ. We are in Christ. And so we have a relationship of loving Jesus. And notice also we have a relationship of believing in Jesus. For you have <coughs> believed that I came forth from God. You have loved me and you have believed that I came forth from God. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are believing in Christ. You are putting your trust in him, and you are in a loving relationship with God. For the Father, it says, himself loves you. And so, what an amazing truth that is to know today, that God loves you, that you are loved by God. I think so oftentimes we think that we have to win the approval of God, that we are trying to, to make God pleased with us or happy with us. And, and I want you to know that God's love is not conditional. God loves you. Why? Listen to this. Because he made you. Because you are 
his and he loves you and now you were estranged to him before Christ and now you're known to him and, and you have relationship with him and you are loved. And so here we see Jesus affirming God's love for us. In verse 2080, he now talks more plainly to him. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. Now Jesus is talking about not just leaving them to go to the Father, he's saying leaving the world. Now we see that they are starting to understand what Jesus is talking about. I came from the Father, that was the virgin birth. And now I'm leaving this world and I am going back to the Father. His exit is gonna be through the cross. And so we see here now that Jesus is telling them very plainly. And in verse 29, I love the disciples' reaction here. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. And now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. And so they say, We now know that you know all things. Remember when Jesus saw Nathanael underneath the tree and he's the Israelite in whom there is no guile? Well, here Jesus knew what the disciples were talking about, what they were whispering about in the back. And they're like, we now know that, that nobody needs to even ask you any questions. Why? Because you know our questions before we even ask them. You, you know what's on our heart. Nobody even needs to ask you a question you already know. But listen to what they say. And by this, we believe that you came forth from God. <laughs> And so this is now the deciding factor of they now finally put their, their faith in Christ. And, and look at in verse 31, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? <laughs> it's like, what about walking on water? What about healing the lepers? What about calling Lazarus uh, out of the dead? What about the multiplication of the fish and loaves? What about all the miracles you see? No, now we now know that you, you are. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this, uh, this is the big wow moment uh, in, uh, you know, in your life. And, and it's interesting here that that Jesus says, do you now believe that the disciples were honest and sincere in their affirmation of faith, but Jesus knows their limitation. It was a rough ride. They were seeing by sight amazing things that were going on. Jesus was doing amazing things. But at the same time, while his popularity was swelling, the religious leaders and the government were violently starting to come against Jesus. It was well known that they wanted to destroy him. And, and the disciples, you remember when Jesus said that he's going to go up to Jerusalem, he's like, let's go up and die with him in Jerusalem. They recognized that on the one hand, there was all of these amazing things happening. And on the other hand, this is getting scarier and scarier and scarier and scarier for them personally. And we see here that, that Jesus knows their limitation. He, he knows their struggle with their faith and, and seeing everything as it is unveiling before them. And I want you to know that, 
Jesus has compassion upon their limitations and Jesus has compassion upon our limitations as well. He sees the condition of our faith. He recognizes the difficulty and the hardships and, and Jesus meets us and ministers to us and helps us in our limitations. In verse 32, it says, Indeed, Jesus says, Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And so Jesus warns the disciples that their faith is going to be shaken. They've just said, hey, we now believe. And Jesus says, do you now really believe? He knows that in a couple of hours he's going to be arrested and they are all going to depart. And now he's ministering, listen to this, he's ministering to their failure that they're about to have before they even fail. <laughs> he is so compassionate and so concerned. You see, once they scatter and Jesus is taken away and arrested, their concern is going to be that Jesus is all alone. He is going to go through his trials that night and he is going to be locked in the dungeon. But Jesus is letting them know, you may think that I'm alone. I want you to know I am not alone. The Father is with me. And I want you to know there is power in understanding that because not only was Jesus not alone, but here is the truth of the matter. You are not alone. Loneliness is, is one of the most crippling and debilitating of emotions. And, and when we feel like no one cares and, and that we are all alone and we are isolated, it is harmful to us. But here's the truth. You are never alone. The Lord is always with you. God is always with you and he is for you. Jesus said that I will not leave you as orphans and you have the indwelling presence of God with you at all times and, and he will stick closer than a friend to you and, and to be able to open up your heart and to receive the love of God regardless if there is nobody around. You are never alone. The Lord before you. And he is with you. And so here we see that he is ministering to them. Jesus in his final words will say, uh, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end uh, of the age. Uh, amen. Right before he ascends uh, into heaven. In verse 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Here we see that he is telling them to, to be of good cheer. Jesus is about to be betrayed, arrested. He is about to experience now the lashing and the crucifixion. And he's telling his disciples, hey, cheer up, guys. <laughs> It is amazing to me the way that Jesus is able to set himself aside to continue to care for the welfare of others. And in that, he teaches us to be able to rely on our connection to God, 
to be able to be filled with love that we are able to continue to minister to others regardless uh, uh, of what is going on in our lives. We see that he tells us that in the world you will have what? You will have tribulation. In the world you will have tribulation. I think that that's one of the things as Christians that, that we don't understand fully, that, that is important for us to have a better understanding of it. I think so oftentimes as a Christian, we keep enlisting, listen to this, we keep enlisting the aid of God so that we don't have tribulations in our lives. We, we're like, God, if I could just get this and this fixed in my life, I would just be happy if I just wouldn't have this problem and this in trial. And, and, and here's the thing, is, is that God says that in this world, you are going to have what? You are going to have tribulation. You see, so oftentimes I think that what we're trying to do is that we want heaven here on earth. <laughs> heaven is the place where there's no tribulations. So we look at our happiness and we define it in terms of the absence of tribulation. If, if I just didn't have problems, <laughs> then I would be happy, right? If you didn't have any problems, would you be happy? And, and that's what we think. So God, help me to not have problems in my life. But when we have an unrealistic expectation or a wrong expectation, then we're going to be disappointed and we are going to be let down by that wrong understanding. Jesus here says, let me just level with you. In this world, as long as you are walking the face of the earth, you are going to have what? You're going to have tribulation. No one gets the perfect life. No one gets that situation and circumstance where they've got no pressures, they've got no problems, where everything is just wonderful in their life. And man, it's just, uh, you know, rainbows and unicorns. You know, it is just this beautiful, beautiful life. That's not the reality. Here's the reality. You're going to have tribulations. And when you get through a tribulation, guess what's waiting for you? another tribulation. And so that's the facts. That's, that's what we're going to have. But he says this, but I'm going to walk you through and guide you through every single one of them. And here's the other thing. I want you to know that the Lord tells us that these tribulations that God allows us to go through in our lives, that he's going to use them as a tool in your life. He's using it as a tool to what? to perfect your faith. You see, God cares about the quality of your faith. When we go through trials, we press in deeper into the Lord. We have to trust Him more. We have to receive more grace for the circumstances and the situation that's in our life, which means what? We have to press deeper into His presence. And you see, in His presence is the fullness of of joy. And so he keeps using these difficulties, these discomforts in our lives to keep changing us and molding us into the image and likeness of Christ. So see, you're being molded by God into the image and likeness of Christ. Well, change doesn't happen easily, and it's not comfortable being changed, but it is profitable for us to be changed so that we continue to experience a better quality of life. The more that your faith increases, the more that you are able to press into his presence, the more that you're able to stay in his presence, the more that you're able to walk in the spirit, the richer the quality of your life is going to be. Now, 
Paul, you'll remember how he had a thorn in the flesh. And remember how he asked God, God, would you take this thorn out of my flesh? How many times do we ask that of God? God, take this thorn out of my flesh so that what? So that my life is going to be better. And do you remember what the Lord said to him after he asked for the third time? He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, that thorn in your flesh is going to drive you into a deeper need and a deeper dependence upon me so that you are able to enter into joy. Listen to this. You're able to enter into joy even in the midst of tribulation. We want the tribulation to end so that we are comfortable in our lives. And God says, no, there is a grace dependence of living that supersedes circumstances in your life. If you're only going to be content when your tribulations are low, then your life is going to be up and down with your contentment. If you learn to rise above the circumstances that are in your life, now you're going to have grace-dependent living. It's not easy. He says, but it's infinitely better. And Paul, it's time for you to step up and to learn this. This is what he promises. He promises you today that whatever your struggles are today, that when you woke up this morning, he had the grace to hand you for the trials that you have today. And that that grace is going to be sufficient for today and today only. My grace is sufficient on a daily basis. He gives us that grace to be able to what? Press into his presence to be able to endure the discomfort and to experience his joy. And so here we see that he tells us that we are going to have tribulation. The tribulation is a part of our life, and it's a tool in God's hand to refine you and change you and to mold you so that you look more and more like Jesus every single day. He is refining you and changing you. What's the area of struggle right now, if you can identify it? What's the area of struggle, the greatest struggle that God is using to perfect your faith today? And when you begin to see it as a tool in his hand to, to change me for the better, instead of this terrible affliction that you are going through, it, it may be in the area of health. It may be in the area of finances. It may be in the area of relationships. It may be in your marriage or with a prodigal that you have. It may be in any multitude of areas that you are just overwhelmed with it. And you need the grace of God now to be able to rise above the discomfort and the pressure and the anxiousness that is there. The Bible tells us that we're allowed to be anxious for what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. We're not allowed to be anxious for, oh, I know, but you, you can't believe what I'm going through. But, but the Bible says be anxious for Nothing. We don't even get an exemption. We don't get a once a day. I can be anxious once a day about something really big, you know. You're not allowed to. Grace has been given to you today for whatever it is that God is calling you to walk through today. So that what? So that you may have joy today, no matter what you're going through. No matter what you're going through. So oftentimes we say, man, just as soon as I get through this, as soon as this changes, then I'm going to be able to be joyful. 
And God says, no, today is the day. I've given you the provision to be joyful in every circumstance. Don't be anxious. Trust God. Last time I checked, God's still on the throne. Amen? God's still in control. Amen? Even when it feels like our life isn't in control, guess what? God is still in control. Everything is in control. And you've been given today the grace that you need. The question is this, did you pick it up? Did you stop in and start your day by receiving the grace? Because if you try and go through trials and tribulations without the grace of God, then, then you are going to go through the emotional roller coaster that, uh, that trials and tribulations are going to put you on. But God wants you to rise above that. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that's really what he invites us to, to overcome the circumstances in our lives to be able to rise above them. We see that even when Jesus is about to go into the Garden of Gethsemane, even when now he is going to sweat blood uh, over having to take the sins of the world upon him and experience that tearing apart of the intimacy of communion that sin causes between him and the Father that he had known from eternity past, even as he is now agonizing and is about to be arrested and betrayed, we see that he's still ministering to others. Be of good cheer. He is, he is instructing them and loving them. He takes off his, his outer garment, washes their feet. All of this while, while all of these things are, are on his mind. He teaches us to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, receive the grace, overcome the difficulties and the hardships in your life. And, and it doesn't mean to just bear through them and power through them. It means to keep your joy. Remember that you're heading towards home. Remember that in this life, your greatest trials are, are, are nothing. Paul says that they're nothing to be compared to what God has for you. God's in control. God wins. Amen. So remember that. And God is for you, not against you. He's going to see you and through. You're not alone. And he's given you the grace for today to be able to overcome whatever it is that the world and this life is throwing at you. We are to press into his presence and to keep our joy. Our life is never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But we're called to be joyful every single day. Because every single day we're getting one step closer to home. One step closer to the glory of his presence. One step closer to heaven. And our goal is to love everybody and to not allow the circumstances in our lives to consume us so that we can't see others and that we can't love others. We're to pray, press into his presence, receive his grace for today, and keep on loving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, now you've shown us what to do, but we confess that we are not able to do that in our own strength. But God, you have given us that provision of grace every single day. So Lord, would you meet us and bless us and touch us and help us and change us. And, and Lord, may today we be joyful. May we 
surrender those things now that that we are struggling with and may we put them into your hands and father may we be busy about your business of loving the people that you have put in touch with us to the best of our ability through you today it's in jesus name we pray amen